This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. My name is Joel. I have the honor, the privilege of, of leading our student ministry here at Conduit, and I've got to say it's been an absolute nightmare, I mean, blessing to pour into your students. Um, seriously, I say this all the time. We, we are so thankful that you invite us into your student's life on a weekly basis, and we don't take that lightly, not, not even slightly. We, we pour in, and we pour in as much as we can. And on that note, we leave for summer camp in eight days. So 90 of your students here at Conduit are piling into two buses to go down to Panama City Beach. So I would like you to invite, to invite you guys to pray for us. Um, it is going to be a very tiring week, but it, I believe the Lord has some really awesome things for our students. He really does. And the enemy wants to sabotage that. He wants to destroy that and, and, and get in the way of it. And we are praying that that does not happen and that we go and we meet Jesus uh, that week. So if you would pray for us, that would be absolutely awesome. Um, but I'm here to teach. I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 116. And the title of the message this morning is this. It's how to pray when you've experienced the pit. And that's going to make more sense as we jump into God's word. Um, but there's three things that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the psalmist's circumstance, testimony, and position. Those are the three things the Lord, I believe, has for us this morning. And as you're turning there, I would like to give us some context to this chapter and why it is so significant and important. And it's going to help us decipher and work through the Word of God this morning. And so here's the thing with Psalm 116. Um, it is actually debated amongst biblical scholars about who the author actually is. And uh, there's um, several different viewpoints on it, but the two majority viewpoints, uh, one being this is the lesser held viewpoint is that it was written by King Hezekiah. And the reason they point to this is because we learn in Isaiah 38, where there's this moment, the prophet is spoken to by God to go to the king and to tell him that the sickness that he is experiencing is going to kill him, that he's going to die. And so he needs to get his house in order in preparation for the next king. And, and he needs to be prepared for death. And then, so the, the, the passage tells us he then rolls over and begins to pray and scream and holler at the wall, begging God to show and spare and have mercy on him. And before the prophet can even leave the place he is at, God speaks to him and says, go back to Hezekiah, tell him I'm going to show mercy, I'm going to spare him, and in fact, I'm going to extend his life for 15 more years. So that's one stance, but the other stance, which is the majority held view, is that this is a psalm written by most, uh, just like most of the psalms, written by King David. And you and I both know the story of King David and how many near-death experiences he had encountered in his life. And so they don't pinpoint this on any one specific scenario that he endures, but rather it's, a, it's a, a reflecting, a referring back to his life and the things that he had endured and reflecting on how good God had been to him every step of the way. But either way, either author, the church has held this passage in a really high regard. 
They've held it to a really high standard and regard. And the reason for that is because Psalm 116 is a part of a, a greater body of text uh, that the Jews would have called the Egyptian Hillel. And so Psalm 113 all the way to Psalm 118 would have been a grouping of texts that were sung by the Jews during the week of the Passover. Um, and Egyptian halal, halal just means praise. And so they would use this to, to reflect on God's mercy shown to them as they were brought out of Egypt. And that's where we find ourselves in Psalm 116. If you haven't found it yet, that is your fault. I do not feel bad slightly. My advice, go home, practice some sword drills. And all my Baptist friends said, amen, silently, <laughs> silently said, amen. Um, you don't know what a sword drill is, you can Google it later. Um, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 9. And so if you guys would follow along with me, the words are on the screen behind me. It says this, it says, I love the Lord. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. And when I was brought low, he saved me. Verse 7. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For uh, He has delivered me from death my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling that I may walk in the land of the living before the Lord in the land of the living. That is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just come before you this morning. One, just appreciative of the freedom that we have to worship you uh, in this country. Uh, the freedom to meet you every single week uh, and not be under a great deal of persecution. And so we thank you for that. But we, I also pray for this church, Lord, we've come expected to hear from you. And so we want you to speak. We invite you to speak into our lives. And I pray that if there is someone in this room who is experiencing the pit, that today would serve as a refreshment, a reminder, a bolstering of faith, that they would depend on you that they would cry out to you. They would return their soul to rest, Lord, that we can work through this passage. And Lord, speak in spite of me. I want to get out of the way of your message this morning. And so please come before us. And I, Jesus, the only reason we get to pray is because of your good work on the cross for our lives. And I thank you so much for your mercies and your grace every single day in our life. And we just, we praise you. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing I want to point out to you guys this morning is the psalmist's circumstance. And there was an incident in my life that occurred uh, back when I was in college. It happened when uh, it was a particular Saturday. Me and my friends were a bunch of longboarders. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it later. Um, we were longboarders. And we lived in this particular spot in Greenville, South Carolina that was near a mountain called Paris Mountain. And often we would find ourselves going down these different roads and hills because this mountain was kind of like a giant neighborhood. So there was roads all throughout the mountain that we would use uh, to, to bomb the hill, is what we would say. Um, and we were going around doing our thing. We wanted our, our weekend sense of adrenaline rush and blood pumping. 
And so that's what we were doing. We were going for it. And a couple weeks prior to this Saturday, we did this thing. We downloaded this speed tracker. So you didn't have to have a car follow behind you like we used to do, which is kind of dangerous. Um, just a little bit. And so we would use this app to track how fast we would be going down these different hills. And it would range from the slowest hill we ever recorded on this mountain was 25 miles per hour to the fastest that any of us had gotten on the board, which was 43 miles per hour. And so we were flying down some of these hills and we were, we were enjoying ourselves. We were doing our thing. And I remember this particular Saturday being a little extra confident in our abilities. And that often can lead to carelessness. But um, on this particular Saturday, we come across this new hill that we hadn't rode down yet. And um, at the time, I would always be the first person down the hill. They would send me first. And I thought it was because I was the best longboarder. But I think now it's because I was the dumbest. Um, I'm not really sure, but I think, it, I think that's the reason. Anyways, on this particular road, at the, about the middle of this run, um, you would encounter a blind turn. And that just means that you cannot see the road in front of you. You don't know what's coming, right? And with longboarding, you have three options, okay, when it comes to a turn like this and you're going that fast. Option one, abort. So you just jump off your board, you bail, it's going to hurt, it's, it's not fun, but you abort. I didn't choose this option. Then you have option two, which is a sliding technique, and often longboarders use this to slow down. It's very similar to when you're snowboarding and you ride your heel edge, is what they call it, to slow down. Very similar, but with longboarding you have to whip the board to where the long face of the board is uh, going down the hill to slow down and gain control. Okay, that's option two. Didn't pick that option either. I chose option three, which is to, to absolutely send it. You just send it down the mountain. And here's the thing. With longboarding, when you get a curved turn like this, you want to take it as wide as you possibly can. And then when the turn is the most dramatic portion of it, you want to cut across to the opposite end, giving you the most grace in order to not get speed wobbles. You want some funny videos, go watch some longboarders experiencing the speed wobble. Um, it's when the board just absolutely, you lose control of it and it sends you flying and it's, it's hilarious. Um, I didn't want to do that. So I, I get over on the shoulder as far, as close to the shoulder in my lane as I possibly can. Like I'm almost touching the shoulder. And then when I get to the most dramatic portion of it, I, I turn the nose of my board all the way to the opposite end, getting to the opposite shoulder. And then I can finally see the rest of the road. But here's the thing, it's not just a road, there's a blue minivan approaching me. And there was no time, and there wouldn't have been a problem if I was in my lane, but I was in her lane. And I was going so fast, she couldn't have corrected herself and I couldn't have corrected myself. So what ended up happening is I go colliding headfirst into a car. And I don't remember much about this situation. The only thing I remember is my arms, my hips, and my chest uh, it just completely destroying the hood of this lady's car. I'm pretty sure my body is still probably marked in the hood of the van. Um, and I remember being in the air above the van and then the back of my head uh, colliding with the trunk of her van and then everything goes black. Everything goes black for me. Um, a few moments pass and it's just like every single movie you've ever seen. I'm blurry, my ears are ringing, I'm looking around making sure I'm okay. Cuts, bruises, road rash everywhere. Um, and this lady is like, are you okay? Oh my goodness, what happened? Are you all good? I mean like, I'm so sorry I didn't see you. And I'm 
can barely understand the words coming out of her mouth. And I just respond, I think I'm good. I think I'm okay. Um, and I go to look for my longboard. I want to see what happened to my board, see if it was good. And I find it. And when I turn back around, the lady in the van is gone. She's no longer there. She was like, I'm leaving. He's good. She pieces out. My friends find me on the hill later. Uh, we're good. We continue to ride that day. And I ended up only breaking my wrist and getting a minor concussion. So praise the Lord for that. Um, but I really do believe that accident could have been way worse than what it was. Way worse than what it was. And maybe for you this morning, you have been reflecting on different scenarios in your own life where you've experienced a closeness with death. You've encountered death. And that's a, a, a funny story because I'm alive, but there is a moment in my life, um, I didn't share this first service, but I feel like the Lord is, is prompting me to share it with you this morning. Um, July 27th, 2013 was the worst day of my life. Um, I was 18 years old and I remember sitting in a Panera Bread with my brother and my best friend and we were just cutting it up um, and it was the end of the week that my church growing up had experienced church camp just similar to what we're going to do with our teens in eight days and I was sitting there and despite my mom's efforts to get me to go to camp I refused and I was at this Panera Bread and I just remember sitting there with my brother and we hear uh, uh, sirens pass us and then we hear it again and again, and again, and, and we counted up to 22 first responding vehicles passing. We'll come to find out that the bus my church rented to go to church camp full of teenagers lost control of the brakes on the off-ramp a mile away from our church, ended up flipping over the median into oncoming traffic and is completely collided with with several vehicles. And in the accident, I lost my youth pastor and his wife were killed. My math teacher was killed. Several of the friends I grew up with were life flighted to the nearest hospital. I experienced death. And the psalmist here in verse three communicates his circumstance. He says, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave, excuse me, came over me and I was overcome by distress and by sorrow. And what he was saying is that I was in the pit. I was in the pit. I was overcome with distress. The distress that is so deep, so deep, is a deep sense of fear and trembling. Death was knocking at the door of his life, surrounding him. And there's nothing he could do except for verse 4. It says, then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And this is more than an appeal for relief. This is the psalmist giving his soul allegiance to a commitment of, of faith in the Lord. Like, Lord, have your will. Save me. Save me. And maybe someone in this room relates to a circumstance, whether personally in your own walk where you're experiencing death, or maybe a relationship or relative or close friend has or is encountering death. Church, can I remind you of something this morning? Can I remind you that God answers prayer? 
I feel like we need to hear that again, that God answers prayer. Look, raise your hand if God has answered a prayer in your life. Look around the room. There's hands up everywhere. That's an encouragement to us. And I hear this all the time from teenagers. It's like, and maybe some of you, it's like, oh, Joel, yo, Joel, I just, I feel like God isn't hearing me. I feel like God's not listening to my prayer, to my requests before him. And can I share with you, y'all, like the scripture tells us that God hears you and he answers prayer. And I'm not a huge fan of emotionalism. I've actually had to work really hard to even feel emotions. But emotionalism is this. It's when you listen to your feelings and your emotions as if they're communicating truth. And so when you come to me and you say, ah, Joel, I just feel like God is listening to me. Y'all, that's not true because scripture tells us over and over and over and over again that God hears prayers. God answers prayer. He's listening. Sometimes he doesn't answer in the ways you want. But he is hearing you. He is answering you, which leads us to the second point, which is the psalmist's testimony. He says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for desperation, for mercy. And this is really the psalmist going from one deep end to another. He's going from the depths and pits of death to the depths of love. And love is an evidence of salvation. And every single believer in this room should be able to, without hesitating, express our love for God. We should be able to express the reasons why we enjoy and love the Lord. And we can see here that the psalmist has a deep understanding of this. Because he goes from verse 4, right? He says, Lord, save me, to verse 5. The Lord is gracious and righteous, and God is full of compassion. He's full of compassion. In other words, the psalmist was in the pit, but now he's full of praise. I was in the pit, now I'm full of praise. Verse 6, I was brought low, and then he saved me. Verse 8, for the Lord has delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. And you and I need to understand that God, even hearing your cries, the cries of a sinner, is mercy enough, let alone answering the prayer. But have you ever considered the purpose behind pain? I've experienced this pretty close. You see, pain as a way of getting us to see the truth of who God is. And when we were at our lowest, just like I was on July 27th, 2013, we experience the love of God when no one else can give us love. And when we're in the pit, we see that God loves us, but we learn something. That is where God meets us, and we learn that God cares for us in the way that no mother can. He listens in the way that no earthly father can, and sometimes the pit is necessary for your praise, to get you to your praise. You know, in that moment, in July 27, 2013, in that week coming, I, I didn't know Jesus. I grew up in the church, but I didn't have a professing faith of Jesus. And God brought me to the pit in order to get me to praise him. And that's when I met Jesus for the first time in my life. I surrendered my life to the Lord in that week. And now I get to experience the position the psalmist experiences. You see, there's two things I want to point out in this. As we see God's position, we see our position. The first thing I want to talk about is our position. 
We see in verse 7, he says this. He says, return to rest my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. So we see this person, the psalmist, experienced the pit, remind himself to return to rest. But he also then says in verse 9, he says, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And this jumped out to me. Because in our cultural context, rest and walk don't add up. Rest and walk don't go hand in hand. But biblically, they do. And here's why, because walking is actually a symbol of devotion. It's, a, it's a, a conversation of life and relationship with the Lord. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You feel like you need to call your soul back to rest. And how do you do that? You walk with the Lord. You see, resting and walking, they don't oppose each other. They're actually married to each other. And rest should be what spurs on our walk. Rest and walking should be what inspires and creates rest in our life. In fact, spiritual rest makes no one idle. Spiritual rest makes no one weary. And I want to submit to you, church, this morning that our rest is what inspires our walk. And our walk should spur on rest. And then the last thing I want to point out to you is God's position. And this is, this is where it all comes together. We see in verse 2, he says this. It says, because he turned his ear to me. And this is, this is not a passive listening in the original text. This is an active listening. You see, I have the privilege of being a dad of three kids. Um, and I often have to interpret tongues with my youngest, Phoebe. She's one. Uh, so when she tells me stories, it's total gibberish. But my other two, when they approach me and they want to get my full attention... And they're trying to tell me something that is giving them joy in life or giving them sorrow and sadness. I don't stand six feet above them. This is where I am. I get low. And I bend my ear. And I'm like, oh, Roman, dude, you caught a frog? Dude, that's awesome. You got big muscles. I'm proud of you, Roman. I'm right here. Oh, Noah, you just caught Mimi bought you a new outfit, a matching jammy set with your baby doll. Baby, that's so pretty. I'm right here. And that's the same with God. You see, God is bending his ear to his people. He is joyfully and eagerly listening to your requests. And some he answers in the way that you want. And some he will answer in ways we cannot understand or relate to or even think of. But he is bending his ear. He is listening and he is answering prayer. And another thing that you and I need to understand that any of this is true is because of the work of Jesus on the cross. You remember how I told you that this was a greater grouping of texts, um, uh, the Egyptian Hillel? Well, the Jews would sing this passage during the Passover week. And Jesus was a Jew. And in Matthew 20, we read where there's a moment in the Last Supper where Jesus is singing with his disciples. And biblical scholars believe that this would have been part of that passage that Jesus sang uh, at the Last Supper with his disciples. And I want to point out in verse 12 and 13, it says this. It says, what shall I return to the Lord for his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Scholars believe that this is a poetic, a psalmist's poetic way of remembering the temple sacrifice to where they would bring before the Lord uh, a meat offering and a drink offering to symbolize a vow, a giving of the soul, allegiance to God, that they were committed to following the Lord and everything that he would have for them. And that's how they would repay him 
And this is where it connects. You see, Jesus sings this song hours before his crucifixion and betrayal. And the moment when he's in the garden, what does he pray? He prays to the Lord. He prays, Lord, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me, knowing full well that the cup of God's wrath would be poured out on him and be refilled with the joyful fulfillment of salvation through his blood. You see, Jesus' position is the cup of your salvation. And though you've experienced the pain of the pit, your cup is filled with his blood, not yours, his blood. And you get to walk and rest. And news flash, flash for us, church. Listen, whether the psalmist here was Hezekiah or David, they both end up dying. And I know that's dark and hard for us to hear, but we are all going to die. No one makes it out alive. But here's the truth is that if you have taken the cup of salvation, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross for your life, then you have an eternal relationship with the Father. And this is why and death no longer has power of you. And this is why it's Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, Oh, where, oh, death is your victory. Oh, where, oh, death is your sting. And the psalmist in this chapter says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. And this is a picture. I want to show you a picture of uh, my youth pastor, Chad and, and Courtney. And this was August. This is uh, a picture posted by a kid that was in my class. His name's Dan Phelps. He was Chad's little brother. Um, and I want you to read the verse. It says this. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And this is August 4th, 2013. You see, we're going to experience death from loved ones, ourselves. We're going to experience the pit. We are. But we need to remember that it is through Jesus that we have hope. And we can rely on him to carry us through the dark world that we face. We can rely on him. And so the, how you pray when you've experienced the pit is pretty simple. You lift up your cup. And you give your soul allegiance to the Lord. And whether you live is Christ. And whether you die is grain. And you can do so with a deep and great sense of everlasting joy and peace that comes through Jesus and his work for you on that cross. It's as simple as that, church. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you that you have even redeemed death in our lives. And that yours is the victory. I mean, we can walk through this world in the darkness of it and face a lot of really hard things. But Lord, you have given us mercy and grace. And I pray that this church, we will become lights in this dark world. And we will put our faith and trust in you and you alone. And that our rest would be what causes our walk. That we would go into the world and people would see the love of who Jesus is and the hope he offers. And as we've experienced pits in our life in different ways, in different areas, Lord, I pray that you would just bolster our faith. That we would give our souls allegiance to you and to your will. And that no matter if it's death that we face, 
Aware, O death, is your victory. Aware, O death, is your sting. I pray that would resonate in our souls and our lives and our hearts this morning. And as we go and as we leave, give us the faith to carry us through it all, Jesus. And Jesus, the only reason we get to pray is because of your blood shed for us on that cross. So thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, church.